Join Dennis Seagrave for Den at Ten. Hello again. To those of you that have been listening regularly, and I don't know whether anybody does listen regularly or whether I'm just talking to myself every week, but I enjoy chatting and hoping there's, there's something of interest for somebody. And I keep rambling on. No real script, no real thoughts of what I'm going to do. But to those that have been listening, you'll be pleased to hear that I won't more with the saga of the caravan. Booked it in at Derbyshire Caravan Services in Derby. They analysed the problem, told me what was wrong, told me a rough estimate of what it was going to cost and did the job brilliantly. Good service, good communications as to what was... Let me know 20 minutes before the van would be ready so that I could be there to collect it off the service ramp as they finished and away we went. And it was a bit cheaper than I thought it was going to be, so well played all round for them. Basically there was more wrong with it than I thought. Needed a couple of three spare parts and a bit of refitting and readjusting. But the small trip I've taken it on so far has been brilliant. Only had it back a week, but things have evened out. We can book trips away now in confidence that we stand a good chance of getting there and back. Thanks, fellas. You did a great job. Well, today has been one of the hottest days that I can remember. Really, really hot. And it's been Elaine's great-grandson's first birthday in the open air at uh, the garden of a pub did a smashing cake for him and most of the family turned up several friends and we had a great time but it was that hot as where we were originally sitting out in the sun the tables in the on the lawn everybody gradually move their way into a big inflatable gazebo at the end of the garden to try and get a bit of shade. But yes, nice food was provided. We enjoyed a drink, a bit of sociability. Two or three babies there and we got a paddling pool as they were playing in. A really well done to all who organised it. And happy birthday to Roman. Well, Monty, our young Springer Spaniel, he was 17 weeks old today. He's a great little dog and he's learning fast. Lots to do with him now that we didn't think were possible a month ago. Sleeping through the night, we can leave him at home in his kennel for a while if we go out to do something that he's doing or whether he's disturbing the neighbours by yapping and whining because doing very very well the only snag we've got with him is that he doesn't take to the lead he can have his collar on he can have the lead attached and he doesn't care but as soon as you open the door and he's outside he just wants to go pull Pull, pull all the way. 
But Elaine's booked into a couple of training classes as she goes to, just to try and work out if it's something we're doing wrong or something as we could be doing better. But I mean, we've researched it all, we've read books and... We've, we've got some idea of how we should be doing things. And according to the trainers, we aren't doing anything wrong. Perhaps a different lead or a different means of attaching the lead to the dog would assist. But it's just a question of time, patience and training. One or two things we could try, just altering the, the way the lead is attached, as I say. Put it over the muzzle rather than around the neck, just so as you get a better control of which way his head's pointing and so on. But other than that, everything is working very, very well. We'll soon be off somewhere with the caravan and get him used to the caravan and get him used to being away. Get him staked next to the caravan. When we go to the van sites, you have to have your dog on a lead, so screw the big tethering post into the ground, attach your five metre lead and it complies with the regulations and allows him a bit of freedom to wander about on the grass outside, sit with us outside when we have a cake and a mug of tea or something, read a newspaper, sat outside in the sun, he can be with us, safe and secure, can't run off. Looking forward to that. We've got several things booked during the summer that we're really looking forward to going away and getting him used to what happens. Fingers crossed he settles down. But it's the same as we've been discussing. Every dog is different. Something that works for one dog doesn't work for another. I've had dealings with, oh heck, two boxes of my own three that my daughter had dealings with, so five boxes really I've had dealings with from pups onwards and each one has been slightly different, each one has adapted to the lead differently but I've never had one that's pulled quite so determinedly as Monty does. So it's a bit of a, a quest for me to find out how we can control him better. He doesn't attempt to run off I can put him on the long lead and he'll run to the extent of the lead and then stop pulling. He'll turn round to see where we are then and come back to us if we call him. I've got a 10 metre training lead that I use with him and he'll run. Sometimes he won't get to the extent of the lead and he'll start doing something else and come back to us. I can whistle him before he gets to the extent of the lead and he'll come back but he just will not settle to a short lead to walk alongside us or with us. Perhaps that says something about us as he doesn't want to be. Don't want to be associated with them, probably. But no, it's, it's something that we'll overcome. We'll get there. I mean, things have changed a lot. I mean, my original boxer, living in the village where we lived, he hardly ever went on a lead. He did have a collar, so as we could hold on to him if necessary, but just going down the road and into the fields, there was little or no traffic. Everybody in the area knew him. Everybody knew what a friendly dog he was, and he was fine. But Monty, I don't do that with yet. By the end of the day, we will do. He will be able to walk 
without a lead, but only in certain areas nowadays it's illegal not to have them on a lead. But in those days, in the very early 1980s, you could get away with it. And I enjoyed having the freedom of him like that. I've got photos of him off the lead and got the rope off the front of my daughter's sledge in his mouth, towing her through the snow with her sledge, gripping the, the rope with his mouth. These are the things that I'm hoping I can repeat. <laughs> no, not with my daughter now. She's, uh, she's a bit grown up now for that. But yes, it would be nice to have a dog that behaves, does as it's told, does daft things for you. And that's what I'm aiming for. I don't necessarily want a field trials champion that can pick pheasants up out of rushes or things like that. Just want an obedient dog. Something that obeys, that can go and fetch things if you throw them. Can come back with them. You can walk around with confidence. I can take him to the game fairs without him shying away from anything. Introduce him to other dogs, get him used to the company. Our next trip with the caravan will go into the small town that's nearby and introduce him to town centre life. Then, as we're planning to go up to Scotland to the Jacobite Express on the West Island Line, we'll be looking to take him to the local railway stations. We're fortunate, really. We've got a couple of steam heritage lines near us, so we can go and show him a proper steam engine. Says the Jacobite won't be the first one he sees. All plans, all looking for the future. But these things do make me reminisce. They make me think of uh, back to Old River's show, preparing for the dog show. As I said in a chat a long while ago, always mowed the area ready for the dog show and then the manager of the dog show would come the night before the show and say the grass isn't short enough. I can guarantee it every year, put money on it, he'll turn up, the grass isn't short enough. Now we always had a mower hidden away somewhere so we could give it another crop. But it was nice to see all the various dogs there, all mingling, but there is a difference. All of those were being preened and groomed and clipped. Talcum powder dusted on them to get the coat looking the right colour. and All sorts of things standing on a little table being preened. No, I want to go to the game fairs and associate with spaniels, retrievers, gun dogs that are there doing a job of work showing how they can plunge into a stream or a river or a pond and retrieve fallen game. You see, game, there's a lot of controversy where people say, oh, you're shooting birds, you're shooting this, that and the other. But the bulk of game is raised. It's only like cows and sheep, they are raised 
to provide food. They're not wild birds at all. The only ones that are sort of wild are the grouse who breed on the moors. And this is why the moors are burnt off in sections every year. A different section each year gives us that rough quilted pattern on the moors where there's fresh growth, a burnt area, old growth and so on. And that's done because grouse feed on the young shoots of the heather. So it has to be cropped every so many years, different section each year, so that there's fresh growth for the young grouse to feed on. Otherwise the moor would turn to just scrubland and the grouse would slowly disappear. They'll certainly be much reduced in numbers. And the thing is with proper run game shooting is that you don't shoot more than you provide. We're not depleting the number of birds that survive the shoot and stay behind. We're not depleting the countryside. Quite the opposite. Many non-game birds and animals thrive in the areas that we provide. The cover crops and the edges of the woods where we plant foodstuffs and cover for the birds to nest in and roost in and feed in away from predators. All of these contribute to the diversity of the countryside and give shelter and help to other animals as well as the game birds that we are rearing. Yes, there's, there's talk about raptors being persecuted by gamekeepers. In the past, possibly so. But the organisations that run game shooting, Basque, for instance, that I'm a member of, British Association for Shooting and Conservation, and that's the important bit, shooting and conservation, deplores the persecution of raptors. And anybody that Basque catches shooting or poisoning raptors will be led to prosecution. We don't like it. There's space for all the wildlife, even though some of it is managed, which is something that people don't always realise. You've got these sites of special scientific interest, areas of outstanding natural beauty, even wildlife reserves and preserves, conservation areas, they are all managed. They are not just left to their own devices. People go in there and manage them, sort out any trees that will need felling or pruning, sort out the undergrowth, make rides through so that there's daylight and space coming in so that the smaller animals have got room to grow, breed and feed in the undergrowth. Lakes are dredged to get the right consistency and depth of water. Reed beds are removed where they're clogging up the natural water courses. 
all this is done to provide what what are called areas of natural beauty yes nature is in there but it's managed it's told how to behave in order to get what people appreciate left to its own devices rivers and ponds would silt up become overgrown woods would be a a tangled mess of branches hiding all the daylight from the ground underneath. It is supposed to be a tangled mess of brush underneath. All of it needs management to get what people regard as nature's beauty. Anyway, lecture over. But thinking back to where I was started about going on the railways and steam, it makes you wonder whether heritage railways have got a future. In my lifetime there's always been steam engines. When I was a young child there was nothing but steam engines. Chugging up and down the railway lines. And even looking around and thinking back there was the odd steam roller still working on the roads. The odd steam tractor still working in the fields. Particularly tra tractors in the fields, farmers have always been a bit tight about buying things, so there were a couple of three farmers around us who had still got steam tractors working in the fields. They hadn't progressed to petrol or diesel. I know one old chap, he progressed from a steam tractor and he got what, in those days, used to be called a paraffin tractor. Now whether it actually ran on paraffin or not I never found out but it was a, a, a red thing with a rounded bonnet and a big chimney and everybody says oh that's that's done with this paraffin tractor. But yeah everything was, was, was steam driven. And now we've got all of these different steam railways you know Seven Valley, North Yorkshire Moors the couple near us, Butterley Station, and you think, yeah, it's brilliant, lovely to see. Nostalgia for me. Happy memories of long trips on the way on holiday. Looking out of the window as we went round a curve so as I could see the engine at work at the front of the train. Always being careful where you stick your head out the window, not too far. And not on the side where there's another track where you can't see another train coming towards you. As I say, my dad was a, a railway man, so he knew. He knew how far to let me go, how to what to do. He even knew where the tracks were. He said, well, if you look out the window now, you'll see the engine, because we're going around a sharp bend. But it makes you wonder, with all the climate change people and all the panic about gases in the air whether heritage railways will have much of a future all this idea of we're banning coal we're banning fumes from coal I mean logically to me surely just keeping a few steam engines running to teach tomorrow's kids what things used to be like isn't too much to ask. That's not going to damage the atmosphere, surely. I think even today we go on about what is damaging the atmosphere. 
but if you look at photos of the late Victorian age, early Georgian age, Edwardian age, not Georgian, Edwardian age, back end of the 1800s, early 1900s, look at old photos of places like Bolton when Fred Dibner was talking about how he remembered things. And there's factory chimneys everywhere belching out smoke. Power stations all over the country belching out smoke. Manchester, Sheffield, all those areas. Heavy, heavy industry. Surely that was doing far more damage to the atmosphere in those days than the coal-fueled things do today. Personally, I think a lot of the damage was already done before we realised it. We are now living in an era where it's progressively getting worse after 100 years ago started it. But there again, I get on my political agenda then and say, well, you're telling me as my car is too polluting... And then you look in the paper and it says, oh, they're going to build another runway at Heathrow. Another 42,000 planes in the air. And I'm thinking, one flight from one of those planes will burn far more fuel and create far more fumes than my car will do in its lifetime. It's contrary. They're telling all the individual little consumers how much they've got to cut down but then businesses are saying how they're expanding because they're after the money. They're not worried about the atmosphere. I mean, I could be totally selfish and say, well, why should I worry? I won't be here when, the, uh, when it gets worse. But that isn't the point. Yes, we've got to do something about it, but... Everybody is panicking and getting electric cars. And electric cars really haven't been that well tested yet. I mean, my question is, how long do the batteries last in an electric car? And what do you do with them when they fail and you need new ones? What happens to the big pile of old batteries? Are they just going to pollute the soil? How can you recycle them? Questions for the scientists, I suppose. But it's like a lot of things. An idea comes out or an invention comes out and people say, oh, that's a good idea, and buy into it. And then after a bit of experience, they realise it's not such a good thing after all. Looking back over my lifetime, I... Think about car sound systems and the 8-track stereo. <laughs> yeah, didn't last long. VHS recorders. Do you go for VHF or you do go for Betamax? Different ones said, oh, Betamax is the best and they all bought into it. And then they disappeared. And that's just two innovations in my lifetime that people thought were the way to go and they came to nothing. And I can't help but thinking 
that sooner or later somebody will find the flaw in the electric car. I would have thought the way to go would to go for the hydrogen cell system where we can manufacture hydrogen, stick it in the cell, stick it in the car, away it goes and the only exhaust is water. Hydrogen burns in oxygen and creates water, H2O. Surely that's a cleaner way of going than producing piles of second-hand batteries that nobody's yet worked out what the use of them is. That's just me. That's just me. I think we've been out in the heat and getting things done, it's put me in a reflective mood. I'm just sat here relaxing now. The very, very last bit of landscaping of my garden has been done. The area between where the pond, the pond edging slopes down and then it met the decking at the bottom. Where the garden met the decking it was causing damp to rise up through the decking and rotting it from the bottom. So I've dug an area out so that it's well below the decking, well below the supports of the decking. Put some edging stones in to support and make a bit of a retaining wall to keep the chopped off end of the slope in place. Laid two stone sleepers as stepping stones so as we can walk across in front of the decking to tend the plants on the decking or turn and use the stepping stones to go up the slope and up to the pond. So I've laid the edging stones, I've laid the paving slabs. Been out this morning, I've run out of, gra of chippings, white chippings. Got a couple of bags of those and now I've Put the chippings around the around the sleepers and fill the gap underneath the decking so there's not soil piled up against the base of the decking now. There's a gap, but there's chippings to fill that gap. Chippings won't retain the moisture. Any rain will percolate down through the chippings and disappear leaving the wood to dry out much more quickly than it was doing before. And that is the last bit of hard landscaping I've got to do in the garden. It's taken me about 20 years, but I can sit on the patio now and think, yes, every single stone, slab, brickwork, waterworks I have built out there. As I say, it's taken me Best part of 20 years, but we've got all the paths, the steps, the woodwork, there's a pergola, there's an archway, several other bits and pieces, raised beds that I've built. And as I say, there's the patio with the swing and the pergola on it. Then it's down steps to a circular area where the table and chairs are, which sits alongside a pool. The pool looks as though it's fed from a pebble pool 
at the top of the garden at the side of the patio, goes down a cascade into the pond. Then the, from the pond you walk down to these slabs I've laid in the decking and then you can turn right, go along a lower path behind the garage and down to the shed under the rose arch. I'm pleased with it and I know Elaine's pleased with it. I built it, she gave me the ideas as she wanted her garden to look like and I built it and I must say it looks a treat. I'm really pleased with it all. I can sit back now and enjoy it and just tend the plants, make the plants do what I want them to. Really pleased. Tried some tomatoes this year, thought I got a bit of time. I haven't got four tomato plants, I've got four tomato trees. I've never had tomatoes so big and strong. I just hope the fruit is good. But it looks a treat. I am really pleased. Well, I'm looking at the clock. I seem to have rambled on about anything and anything this week. I haven't put me, me head together at all. I've just put my grousing head on and complained about things. But I think that's, that's the mood I'm in at the moment. I'm hot. I'm tired. I've had some early mornings getting up with the puppy. I've had some hard work for two or three days working in the garden in the heat. I'm ready for a rest. I'll not bore you anymore. I'll say ta-da for now and have a think about what we can chat about next week. Ta-da for now. <laughs>